You're listening to Season 7, Episode Number 3 of Strike the Match. In this episode, my guest is Dr. Ted Essler. We discuss his latest book, The Innovation Crisis, Creating Disruptive Influence in the Ministry You Lead. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist, Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. Well, hey, you all that have been listening to Strike the Match now for seven seasons, or if you're just jumping in, you know that at the beginning of every episode, uh, my announcer uh, that you hear on each episode We'll talk about this being a podcast related related to the topic of mission, innovation, and leadership. And so today, I am excited that we can have a conversation on that category of innovation. Uh, one of the things that has just recently happened in the publishing world is that Dr. Ted Esler has published uh, a book with Moody Publishers titled The Innovation Crisis. Creating disruptive influence. Excuse me, I was looking at my paper here without trying to make notice, but of it, and now I've already drawn all your atten- all your attentions to it. Uh, the innovation crisis, creating disruptive influence in the ministry you lead. Uh, Ted is no stranger to many of you that are listening, but for some of you, you may not be familiar with Ted. I've known Ted for several years, and just very thankful for for this brother. He is the president of Missio Nexus. Uh, he served as a church planner in Bosnia for many years in the 1990s. Uh, he worked in the computer industry before that time. Uh, he's also the author of Overwhelming Minority, and he uh, spent many years uh, in leadership roles with pioneers. Uh, he holds a PhD in intercultural studies from Fuller Theological Seminary, and then, as I mentioned, he is the author of our book that we're talking about today, The Innovation Crisis. And so, Ted, brother, I am so thankful to uh, to have you with us today. So welcome to Strike the Match. Well, thanks for having me, J.D. I'm looking forward to striking some matches as we talk today. <laughs> so, yeah. So, brother, when I saw this book uh, title uh, come out, I was excited because at this time, I can only think about maybe three, maybe four titles of books out there written by Christians to the church and mission community. Um, is that is that your observation as well? Yeah, there's. I would say that uh, you know the business world has done a phenomenal job of highlighting innovation, but we who do kingdom work, not so much. You are the president of Missio Nexus, so you are you're connecting with an association of agencies and churches, uh, representing probably around thirty thousand uh, kingdom workers across the world. Can can you give us a little bit? Uh, information about Missio Nexus, and then help us understand why this book to be written by a guy who is leading such an organization. Sure. Um, well, we actually just have surveyed our membership in terms of staff size, and we're almost doubling that 30,000 number to 50,000. We have about 320 mission agency members, wow. uh, quite a few globally focused churches, um, some schools, and of course, individual members too. And, uh, you know, our mission is to catalyze relationships, ideas, and collaboration within the Great Commission community. And 
when I relate to all those leaders, um, constantly I'm being asked, you know, Ted, who's doing a good job here or who's, who's succeeding in this space. And a lot of the questions are actually about innovation. And at the same time, uh, I would say that in the missions community, there's also a lot of talk about sustainability, sustainability of missionary sending, uh, the financial model, all these types of things. And that actually has a lot to do with innovation. And I talk about that in the book. Sustaining an organization is not a mission statement. And as we have thought more and more about issues around sustainability, I think our eye has gotten off the innovation emphasis that we need to have as leaders. You, you work with a diverse, very diverse group of, of evangelicals throughout the world. And, and I'm sure you have some that are more innovative in their thinking, some not so much uh, uh, in their thinking and a variety in between the two. But the title of the book, I think speaks to everyone, no matter where we are on that spectrum, the, the innovation crisis. So, so the book is framed around this concept. So what, what do you mean, mean by that when you, when you think about the innovation crisis, especially, especially when you think about the organization that you're leading? Well, the best way for me to highlight why I titled it that is uh, if I were to ask you to picture in your mind the first couple of entities that, that just pop into your mind when I ask the question, who are the innovators today? And just think about that for one second. I guarantee not one of those innovators would be church innovators or mission agency innovators. Um, the innovators, as we have come to know them, are pretty much all from the tech sector. And um, even, you know, we, we you might come across a few businesses that are not specifically in the tech space, but Rarely do we think of innovation when we think of ministry. And certainly, 100% true, the culture would never think that way. Um, And so my view is we do have a crisis of innovation, especially when you think about how innovative our leader and founder, Jesus, was in his ministry. Every time he opened his mouth just about, he said something that blew away. It gave them a completely new way of seeing or understanding the world and spirituality. And so even though we had, and, and, and historically, by the way, the church has been innovative. Um, I would say today we don't look to the church uh, for examples of innovation. And we have a crisis of innovation, and we need to see that turned around. So I've, I've often sort of thought about the notion of, you know, Jesus saying, you know, I will build my church. And and I think about, okay, so what does that exactly mean? So if someone is building something, change should be expected. You know, there are going to be obstacles that will be overcome. There will be barriers that we'll have to navigate around. You know, if the church is filled with a dynamic spirit, not a not a static spirit, you know, there's there's going to be movement. You know, in this book, I think you do a really good job drawing attention to that fact that you talk about the church in the first century in particular, but also throughout history, and then you draw uh, you know, quite a few examples from William Carey, uh, was about innovation. So can you help us maybe think about what what does it look like to be innovative from a biblical perspective? Because I know a lot of people are listening to this, and they may even see the title of this podcast, and they're thinking, oh, innovation. So they're going to be talking about you know building you know the, the, the next best iPhone. But that's not what you're getting at. No, in fact... 
this is part of the problem we face right now is when innovation comes up, we almost exclusively think of tech and technology innovation. But there are so many different types of innovation that can happen out there that can transform how we work and how we do ministry. And getting our getting our brain wrapped around innovation in some of these more ministry-focused areas is part of the solution for ending the innovation uh, crisis that we face. I, again, I, I would just you, you point to Jesus, and he, you know, he talked about the new covenant. You know, you don't take you don't take new wine and put it in old skins. There's the theme of renewal. There's so much, so much in the New Testament, that, and none of it's technological innovation. Yet it's life transforming uh, for the people that it touches, influences, and affects. And so, I think, you know, there are. I believe one of the things that I think is important for us to understand is I believe there's big differences between um, how innovation happens in the business sector and how it's going to happen in the ministry space, um, which I think is a little different take on innovation than we typically hear. Typically, you know, we're reading, and I read these same books. We read books from business leaders, and then we think about how we're going to apply them to ministry. Uh, and that's fine, and that's a great uh, strategy to try, but um, that's, that's really not going to get us where we need to go, I don't believe, because there are stark differences between how innovation works in ministry versus business. Do you think that that's part of the reason, the, the, the notion that we're always thinking about tech, we're always thinking about Harvard Business Review, do you think that's part of the reason why a lot of ministry leaders uh, maybe push back on this notion of innovation instead of seeing it as overcoming, for example, in the book of Acts, those, those barriers, those cultural barriers to advance the gospel, to create new structures, to move, you know, things forward in the kingdom. I think so. I mean, I think there's a bit of concern that we're talking about innovating on, you know, church doctrine, for example, and things that are foundational to faith. I think there's a fear there, but, you know, you just use the word culture. And I think what we, so here's one, very important difference between ministry innovation and business innovation. Now, this influences innovation too, but it's it's just all part of our game. And that is, in business, one reason why you get innovation is because you have high levels of competition between businesses. Now, now in the kingdom, you know, we're not out there. We shouldn't be out there competing with other churches, with other ministries. We should be a collaborative minded, um, you know, all hands on deck. So we don't have that kind of competition, but we do have competition and that competition comes from the world and how it represents, represents itself in culture. Now that's more ambiguous. It's less concrete perhaps than, you know, if you're a pizza shop owner, someone opening up a pizza shop just down the road from you, but, but culture changes and culture shifts and we need to innovate because they are competing for the hearts, minds, and souls of the audience that we are trying to attract for the kingdom. And so part of innovation in a ministry sense is for us to be very aware of the fact that culture is the driving force behind how people see, understand, and experience their spirituality. It's not as concrete as uh, competition is in the business world, and thus, I do think innovation is a little harder for ministry leaders than it is for people in business. Do, do you think that the um, 
the 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 social, the cultural uh, pressures, shifts, things that have happened as a result of COVID uh, are making uh, church and mission leaders more open to innovation at this time? I think so. I, I'd say, you know, you phrased your question more open. I would say definitely more open. Um, I got to admit to you, though, that I was very disappointed that when COVID hit, we didn't see much more uh, deep and radical innovation than we saw. Um, you know, most churches, for example, they just took their Sunday morning service and broadcast it. In many cases, I watched a bunch of church services just to see what was happening. The same pulpit, the same person behind the pulpit. Um, even though the message now is coming through a different medium, there was no bending to the use of the possibilities that the internet provided for a teaching session. For example, um, if you're teaching on the Book of Acts, what's happened in Mars Hill, why weren't you Google Maps standing in Mars Hill, essentially, using that tool to teach? Instead, I, what I saw from most ministry leaders was the same thing they were doing, only now we just put it on a stream, which is great, which is fine, but it's not really innovative. Do you think that? One of the, one of the, um, what's, I don't know, if, I guess challenge would be a good way to say it when it comes to leadership issues uh, and innovation within the church uh, community. Uh, do you think part of it goes back to the notion of our, our primary paradigm of training, raising up leaders, particularly through uh, higher education, is to, to maintain and sustain the, the status quo? Um, and I don't say status quo in a negative way, but, but I'm, you know, I've spent over two decades uh, within the uh, the academy, and I just don't see a lot of developing individuals, pastors, if you will, to lead and, and to navigate through change. Well, so when we talk about status quo, I think the thing we, we, we fail to remember is that when things start, when something new starts, oftentimes it started because it's trying to meet a need that's out there. And this is really true, I think, of, you know, mission agencies, for example. They, you know, you start a mission agency. I used to work for Pioneers, which is an awesome organization. The founder applied to a bunch of mission agencies, was turned down because of his age and his family size. So he started Pioneers because he wanted to make it easier for people to get to the field. So, so he was meeting a need, uh, addressing it in that particular time in history. Well, you know, culture changes. Um, what was a need then may not be a need today. And we design our organizations around solutions that we essentially, we don't know other, other solutions when we work in our ministry. And so when the change occurs on the outside, it's very hard for us to reorient ourselves around those new realities and make changes. I give you a great example from Missio Nexus. Uh, you know, we have a wonderful website. We deliver thousands of page views every single day. And uh, this is in the book. About 18 months ago, I was at a board meeting presenting this great chart of all our web page hits to our board. And at the end of that discussion, one of my millennial board members raises her hand and she says, hey, can I just say one thing? She says, that's great that you got that many downloads, but my generation likes to upload. And what she meant by that is, Younger people want to interact with the content. They don't want to just come and consume. That's more of a Gen X baby boomer approach. 
So we built this great solution, and that great solution now is not serving the shifting and changing culture there now in the fall. We're deploying a whole new web platform just based on that conversation and the need for us to move into a world which is more interactive for our users. But it's hard to do that because I had we, we'd set up all of our systems around content production. And, you know, I hired staff. They came on, on board thinking this is my job description. This is what I'm going to be doing. There's all sorts of reasons why what we built became our status quo. And the, our worst enemy was how successful we were. We were patting ourselves on the back about all these page views. I, I remember that story of the book. It, uh, that story in the book, by the way, that story in the book had a, uh, that, that really hit me. In fact, I have actually made some adjustments to some of the things I do online uh, as a result of that story. But you mentioned in the book about, you know, the whole past success. Uh, create future failures. What do you mean by that? But I think I see exactly where you're going. Yeah, well, again, we we had so many great so many downloads going. We felt successful yeah. in this and felt what we try and, and this is what businesses try to do when their sales for example start start to fall off. They look to their past what they did really well and they think, "Okay, we're just going to do more of it." And so instead of doing a gut check on whether they should continue or not, they go all in on that strategy, which is already showing some level of atrophy and ineffectiveness. And and again, I, I guess I would just say this same thing applies at the local church level. And, you know, we, we need to realize that we have a lot of assumptions about how the way things should work based on ministries we've been a part of or other churches that we're observing that are successful. Those things may not transfer either into this place in time or into this particular cultural situation we find ourselves in. Yeah, especially if, uh, you know, if the word spreads about a successful uh, ministry, you know, with uh, Ministry X, and it takes 15 or 20 years to get to the ears of Ministry Y, you know, society, culture, things have shifted already. Uh, can you talk a little bit about about that issue? Because I know in the book you you talk about in the church we we practice I believe what you call successful modeling. You know, c- can you explain that concept? Sure. You know, so if you look at in the in the church today, who who writes the bestsellers about how to do church? It's mostly not hundred percent across. None of the my books are bestsellers, Ted. Okay, okay, we're, we're <laughs> you get an out just here. To, just to let you know. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I mean, I'm not picking on the mega church here. Okay, I love the church in whatever form God right. decides to make it. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of times it's those mega church pastors that are saying, well, this is how you should do church. And there's a lot of good material in what they write. But if your context is different, a lot of that stuff's not going to translate into your context. The other thing is they are, they are writing that book at a specific point in cultural development. And listen, culture is in massive flux right now it's it's changing so in fact that's one reason why i think we are having a evangelical identity crisis is it's not because we've changed it's because everything around us has changed and you know we can barely keep up emotionally uh let alone intellectually let alone getting ahead of it by innovating um to to create culture instead of just react to it so yeah, it, it, it's it's tough. It's tough to be innovative in the church today, and part of it is because our competition has so ramped up its ability to to change. 
Yeah. You know, I, I remember when I read in, in 19, I guess it was published, uh, Purpose Driven Church that Rick Warren wrote, uh, was published in 95 with Zondervan. I, I read it in 97. Um, and I remember him saying in that book, you know, you know, he's 15 years removed from the planting of that church. He said, basically, don't try to clone what we're doing because you can't be me. You, you don't have my leadership team and you don't have our context. Of course, you know, the whole world cloned, you know, what, what he, you know, what he was doing or tried to clone it. Uh, at least it seems that way. But, um, but I, I, I'm just, I'm just curious why, why, why are we so uh, enamored when it comes to ministry with trying to embrace the latest and greatest, uh, which is basically taking it from context and other leadership teams that, as you mentioned, don't necessarily translate to us, and we call it innovation, as opposed to leaders thinking about how to do specific innovation in their context? Well, we're drawn to success. Uh, so when we see somebody that has, you know, a large budget and a large, I mean, you, you have any conversation uh, with with a pastor about their church, one of the very first questions that's going to come up is how big is your, how many people come to your church? And it's a very easy, it's a very easy kind of low hanging fruit metric for us to use. Rarely do we ask the question, you know, how, how deep is discipleship gone in your congregation? Uh, now, we might get there after we talk for a while, but the point just being that, you know, like it or not, in our culture right now, size has a lot to do with how we measure success. And, um, you know, so when we find someone that's been successful in growing something of a certain size, uh, and, and by the way, I would just say this is um, not a church culture thing. This is an American culture thing. It's also it's also the reason why we look to business leaders to be our uh, those are basically our cultural models. It's who we think are doing. You know, you you can't argue with success kind of thinking. And so you know, we almost worship uh, billionaires. You know, because they've been successful. So you know, if, if we're gonna if if we're gonna innovate. I think, uh, you know, we want to look at those models. We don't want to ignore them, but we need to realize that duplication is not innovation. So, Ted, you talk about in the book uh, that innovation is not something that is lofty, far out of reach. Um, I'm curious, could, could you share with us your thoughts on who you think is actually best suited uh, to innovate, whether they're in a local church ministry or mission leadership role or, or maybe some other role? You know, who? Who, who is the who is the innovator? Well, there are a lot of myths about who can innovate. One of the most famous myths about innovators, you'll hear people say, well, innovation always comes from the fringes. In, in my response to that would be, yes, sometimes innovation comes from the fringes, but not always. And again, that same question I asked earlier, who's innovating in our world today? They're all big, huge mega corporations. They're not fringe corporations by any stretch. And so I would just say we, we got to quit thinking about innovation as something that's only for the gifted few. Innovation can really come from anywhere. Um, you know, it can be done on a team level, individual level. It can be a, a large ministry. Innovation can happen. Now, it's, it's also one of the other myths is that it's some kind of secret discovery. And I would say the only real secret discovery that needs to happen is identifying the the real you know significant problem that needs to be solved if you come up with a great 
important problem that needs to be addressed, then innovation is going to flow out of that. And so when it comes to who can innovate, I would just say it's those people that really see an issue that needs to be addressed. So so beyond having having the vision of of the challenges that are there, what, what what would you say are some of the other innovative traits that an individual would have? Well, the so first of all, you can go to a website, theinnovationcrisis.org, and you can there's a self-assessment that I have. So that's going to really be kind of a, an innovation thing for at the personal level. So, you know, it's going to get at major traits like, you know, are you, are you creative? Are you naturally creative? Are you naturally flexible? Do you like to take the initiative, et cetera? Now, all of us have different shades and flavors of those elements. In my case, um, you know, collaboration, for example, is probably more on my weak side than it is on my strong side. So I need to be cautious and I have to be conscious, uh, conscious about other people in a conversation when we're trying to innovate on a problem that I don't just bulldoze over others. And I would say, you know, all of us have elements of each one of these various attributes that are on this uh, inventory. Um, now, the, the other thing I would just say, and one of the reasons why it's hard for us to innovate in ministry is the avenues that our mind likes to run down when it comes to innovation, like the tech avenue, for example, or the disruptive, you've got to change the whole world at once avenue. Those various avenues don't always apply well in every situation. And so uh, there's a taxonomy in the book, uh, which is just a fancy way of saying an outline of topics. It goes over nine different areas that ministries can think about that are ripe for innovation. And you can pick one or two of those areas. Uh, I'll just give you one example. Evaluation. We hit on it already. When we talked about um, you know, how many people are in your church as an evaluation metric for a church, terrible evaluator for a church. But if we change that and we ask about how deep is the discipleship, and if we actually evaluate our processes and our programs against that different rubric, that could lead to breakthrough innovation. So, um, you know, again, there, there are so many ways to innovate. We just, it's really easy for our minds to walk down well-trodden paths as opposed to explore new territory when it comes to innovation. My guest has been Ted Esler. And uh, if you've been just jumping in in the middle of this uh, recording, uh, you need to go back to the beginning and check it out. We're talking about his latest book called The Innovation Crisis creating disruptive influence in the ministry you lead. Folks, um, this is a, a very important topic, and there are very, very few pieces of literature out there uh, written from a kingdom perspective to uh, kingdom leaders. And so I strongly want to encourage you to check out this book, The Innovation Crisis by Ted Esler, uh, because this is an issue that affects all of us. If you're in any kind of leadership role, this is an issue that is is knocking at your door right now. We we've got to recognize there are all kinds of challenges, there are all kinds of obstacles, there are all kinds of of avenues that we have to go down that are that are troublesome at times when it comes to being leaders in ministry. And while as Ted was talking earlier about not changing our doctrine and and making sure we're standing on the the truth that was once for all delivered to the saints, the reality is is that the world in which we live is a world that brings up many of those obstacles. The the flesh and the evil one uh, are there as well. And so I strongly want to encourage you to take a look at this book uh, and really prayerfully think through 
the things that uh, Ted's talking about. Ted, uh, I know you're out there with uh, Missio Nexus. We talked a little bit, little bit about that. Uh, if there's another way for people to get in touch with you online, your web presence, uh, anything out there that you would share as far as an address for us? I know you mentioned the innovationcrisis.org or .com. Uh, but where else are you? Well, the, the best way to get me is go to the Missio Nexus website and fill out a contact form and um, we'll get right back in touch with you. Missio Nexus, M-I-S-S-I-O-N-E-X-U-S? Correct. Yep. MissioNexus.org. One, one end in the middle. Well, brother, I, I so much appreciate you. Thank you for your, your friendship and I appreciate your, your leadership as well. And, and so glad to, to have you with us here on Strike the Match today. Thanks for having me, J.D. I really appreciate it. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Bank. You can find J.D. on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.